Chad. <laughs> Hi, Jason. <laughs> you seem surprised. <laughs> Tell me how you feel about the phrase no code. Ugh, gross. Probably because it's overused and it doesn't really say anything. And it oversimplifies something that's so freaking complex. And oftentimes involves code. It almost always involves code. So that's how I feel about it. How do you feel about it? I have mixed emotions. So today we're going to talk no code, what it means, what it doesn't mean. Why do people keep using it? Good and bad things about it. So let's do it. What's a no code? I'm Jason. I'm Chad. I don't know how to code. Do you know how to code? Nah, we're no coding together. Today we're talking about no code, what it means, why it's a stupid phrase, and whether behind all the marketing hokum there's a glint of meaning to be extracted from this life. What? What? Today on Automation Town. Do you remember the first time you heard the phrase? Where you first heard no code? No. Do you? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't either. Let's move on. When did you start to care about it? <laughs> Maybe it's a better question. Maybe a couple few years ago. Yeah. 2020, 19. Yeah. But even then, like, I think I was using Zapier, for example, before the word was even a thing. Mm -hmm. And compared to then, we are now maximum no code, where I think the phrase no code actually gets slapped on things that are like, you're just a software tool that's never involved code, but you're just using no code because that's a buzzword now. Yeah. It reminds me of like, Dreamweaver days of websites in the late 1990s and early 2000s. That was no code. It was no code, yeah. It's actually a great analogy to no code because it's real cozy with code. <laughs> and sometimes when you get certain depth down that rabbit hole, you find out, oh, no, we just need some code in here. That's what's going to get it the last mile. Almost feels like it should be like graphic user interface code. Oh, that's a dumb joke. It's not even a joke. That's that's just, suicide. sorry, that was bad. It's just dumb, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so like, is there a more apt way of describing it? I don't know, but some people prefer like visual development, but... Let's try not to label it. To me, what it means is there's someone who's not a coder or a programmer who gets to do cool stuff with a hint of code and a user interface or a website or a place for you to do stuff where it's mostly drag and drop. Scroll, drag and drop, click versus typing for days. Is that how you think about it? Yeah, there isn't really a white and black line where something is code and then it becomes no code, but there's definitely a general trend toward simplification. And I think the tools leaning into this phrase are trying to make something that was once maybe only accessible to developers, more accessible to normies like you and I. Yeah, definitely makes things more accessible and a little more exciting, to be honest. I don't know if I'd want to go through coding school. I mean, great profession but it just was never something that I thought about professionally. So this allows us to dabble in the programming world without having to be as smart as them. Yeah, and I think that's the big selling point here and the premise and why a lot of these companies are seeing big investment now is what does the world look like if even just a corner of the development world becomes accessible to regular people? Obviously, developers are in great demand, but is there a small aspect of what they do that can be accessible to everyday people? And if so, how does that change how we work day to day? Chad, can we sidebar for just a minute here? You know how I always say first impressions are everything. You do. I remember the first time I saw you in the wild. Where is this going? It was a webinar. You were talking about hiring remote people. You had like 80 people in your company at that point. And I thought, 
The boy's got a nice looking beard, but mm, that sounds like a lot of work. Do you remember what your first impression of me was? Uh, it's gotta be Twitter, I guess. I think it was something on Twitter. I remember having the impression you knew what you were doing and you were into a lot of the same tech that I was. I mean, that sounds like you don't remember the first time you saw me. Why are we talking about this, Jason? Because Ignition is an app that ensures your first impression is oh so nice. You get professional looking proposals that are gonna dazzle those soon to be clients and all the tools you need to manage your client engagement on an ongoing basis. Even better, Ignition wrangles payments. So when they accept that proposal, payment can kick off automatically and you've got a centralized place to manage your billing and engagement letters. It's even got a killer's app you're connected for wiring it up with the rest of your apps. I do like that. Head over to ignitionapp.com. You can get started for free. Free? Like what did you ever do for them? Get started online for free and use code AUTOMATIONTOWN to make a great first impression and just stop manually chasing down those invoices, you know? Learn more over at ignitionapp.com. So most common no-code apps off the top of your head. Chad, what are kind of the five heavy hitters we see a lot of? The heavy hitters that I use are Zapier, Integramat, Notion, Airtable, Webflow, Bubble. How about you? I took all the big ones. Those are definitely the big ones, but it's shocking Like if you follow stuff like Product Hunt, which is like kind of a feed of new tool releases, just how many apps are using that phrase, no code. And honestly, as someone who thinks this stuff is more accessible than people realize, and the tools are so good these days that the problem is not make the tool better, the problem is get the 99.9% .9 of people who aren't using them familiar with them because they are useful today. I think that's the main problem. That no-code phrase can actually be kind of gatekeeper-y and off-putting because people, I think, plug in with things that are representative of the person that they wanna be. If you're not a programmer, if the notion of code isn't interesting to you, if you're an attorney, that's not something that seems like it's for them. Like that phrase I think can be off-putting. The idea of keeping things simple and letting you build something with no coding knowledge is as less geeky as it gets. It's exciting. And I think we'll see some sort of evolution of the term. Yeah. Just like you see a lot of the early adopters moving into the terms low code or visual development, like you said, there's hopefully going to be a more important conversation around accessibility and idea generation and problem solving. That is really what this is all about. And at this point, it comes down to more sourcing those meaningful problems worth solving. It's one thing to have a solution. It's another thing to identify where the places that it needs to be plugged into, who are the people that need help, that sort of thing. There's an old saying or a new saying, I don't know, but it's just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Oh man, I could sidebar on that. The things I've made because they're possible with no code tools that shouldn't otherwise exist. <laughs> like sending a bird to your uncle. I've got a lot of those. You said a phrase a minute ago that we should probably define, define low code for us. How is that different than no code? It's again, one of these things where you probably have a hundred different people defining it differently. Yeah. How about we just call it some code? Some code. Not just drag, drop, click, sort, but add a little pinch of code to get you from point A to point B because these tools don't build it. The thing between no code and code. That's smarter. The phrase drives me nuts. What gets me excited is, is this a new thing? Like to me, it isn't. Nope. As long as computers and development have been around, we've been on this inevitable march of simplification but that simplification always hasn't been for people like you and I, it's been simplification for developers. So the very early days you're writing for 
specific hardware and memory and managing all of that stuff yourself on the machine. And then that gets abstracted. You're able to write code that doesn't have to manage the memory and all of that. And it's kind of this ongoing march where you're getting further and further removed from the actual hardware and how memory is managed and the very, very nitty gritty details. But to date, that's still been a thing that's been done by developers. It was just enabling developers to be able to put things together more efficiently. And so it seems like the inevitable destination is a reality where anybody can build software. But I think maybe what makes what's happening right now important is that it has crossed some sort of magical threshold where the relatively tech savvy people who are not developers, it's good enough for them now. And so like we're starting to break out of that bubble of people who are developers and them being the only ones in society that can do these incredibly scalable things. And I feel like maybe that's the inflection point we're getting to now is it's just now kind of gotten outside of that group of people. Yeah. To build on that specifically, there's a guy named uh, Mr. Sakonchik on Twitter and he's building better legal, but he initially, as far as I understand, I could get this wrong, but the whole app was built with code and then he redesigned it and now is using a whole bunch of no code tools in order to relaunch from the ground up so that future iterations of his company are built on these tools versus being dependent on developers. Yeah, so historically, like cost of entry for a proper development project, like let's use Glide, for example. So Glide is a no code app that helps you build a mobile app with a drag and drop interface and you connect that to Google Sheets for your data set or now Airtable, you can connect it to as well. Like their tagline is like five minutes to create a mobile app and it really is as simple as anyone can do it. In the old days, price of entry for traditional development into building a custom mobile app for you 20 grand, like it's yeah. depends on where you source it, but a lot. A lot. So then in a reality where Chatter I can belly up to our computers and do that thing ourselves with no expertise and knowledge about how to build mobile apps. Right now, I think we're kind of just starting to explore what does that mean? Like, does that take away from mass market software if it's easy for me to build my custom software? Does that mean we're going to flood the market with all these? super use case specific tools or does it mean more people are just going to kind of roll their own thing as they need it how do you see that is it going to chip away at traditional mass market tools because people are building their own things i think it'll move slowly and people will adopt i mean do you look at the rate of tech adoption in most businesses it's not as high as the bubble that we live in and you mentioned percentages earlier, and just if like one percent more people yeah. had accessibility to this, you know, we're we're absolutely living in a world where it's ninety-nine to one percent or less than one percent on this no-code world. And I guess what gets me excited about this is that there's so much funding and opportunities out there mm-hmm. for a lot of these no-code tools to innovate. And if you think about the ones that are really putting the rubber to the road, you've got Softer who send out weekly updates on their new product launch ideas and they're just plowing through that funding money and it's like really, really good. What did Webflow raise? Like 140 million bucks a couple months ago, pushing them up to like over 2 billion and they created a community grants program out of it and put 10 million bucks back to the community just to help out. Hmm. Like that's the cool stuff you can see where it makes a big impact and it will be snowballing. If you think about like our professions, how much of what we do from a technological perspective are taught in schools or are mainstream? Zero. And that's been 20 years since 
30 years since computers are out, right? So I just hope that with change and time comes more accessibility and visibility into stuff like this. And if there is, I would not be surprised to see more people running with their ideas and trying out new businesses, helping out their family and friends, coming to ideas to well-established companies to say, I could probably do that 10 times cheaper and quicker. And like, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on that, something I've thought about quite a bit is that it's unlocking a different level of leverage for people where they didn't have access to those sort of capabilities in the past. And it's one of those things, I think of it as like a step change in productivity. So personal computing unlocked a lot of stuff for people. And that's the sort of thing where in retrospect, it's like, oh yeah, it's a no brainer. That took a really freaking long time. And there were a lot of people who were like, well, I'm just not going to touch it. And so this stuff will take a long time. But in the meantime, I feel like this is opening up a bigger gap between the super high output knowledge workers and the people working traditional ways because they've unlocked this aspect of leverage that was previously only accessible to developers. Would you agree with that? Do you see that in the workplace now? Specifically, like I can give you an example of, of that for me while the helicopter goes over top of me here. Yep. We used WordPress for a website like most people do. And then better part of a few years ago, we ended up, I'm gonna pause here just for a second because that's a really loud helicopter. It is. We're next to like the San Diego Naval Base. Okay, so the helicopter just landed. We're getting on the helicopter now. Continue. We use WordPress and yes, you could go in the back end and create your posts and your website updates and your blog posts and everything was fine. But to really change the design, it wasn't as drag and drop as you'd really hope it would be. So we ended up moving to Webflow and met a great designer who put everything together. I was able to fiddle around with things not break it completely, but the speed at which I was able to pump out and format blog posts and make changes to websites, add pages and integrate them with different services, make them private, just anything and everything that might've taken some finesse to make sure you didn't break anything in WordPress back then. Webflow allowed me to pick that up inside of days to learn versus you know relying on somebody to do that. So that accessibility is everywhere, whether it's with websites, or with onboarding forums or forums on your website or just dealing with like anything to do with your, your work. The power is now in the operator's hands and that's super exciting. That's why this is a fun thing to do because we get to play around with a whole bunch of silly ideas and learn ourselves. And like you said, it's in most cases, it's relatively quick and easy to have a play and give something a try. And it's a kind of agility that you never would have had in the past. Because if you need somebody to change your WordPress site, you're pulling in a developer who's going to go then change stuff on the back end that you can't see or is inaccessible to you. But now we've got stuff that's easy enough for you and I to use. And it's quick enough to where it doesn't feel like a huge time sink to go in and give this or that a try. Another unintended consequence was the respect now that I have for developers is tenfold because their ability to troubleshoot and to build and to not break things is great. But when they help me and they fix problems that I created because I was being silly, super, 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 super helpful and thankful to them. So we work with somebody here at, uh, at our firm and like he is hands down educating, building and providing ideas all at the same time because he loves the no code space, the rare developer who loves the no code space. What do you say to the kind of first blush people who say then like, oh, is this a threat to traditional development? I don't think I'm qualified to talk about that. What do you think? I'm qualified to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I can tell you, I think it's an entirely different type of development. If you think of most of the sort of things that people would go to a developer to build in the past, by and large, in many cases, they're still going to a developer to build those things because there's a certain amount of scale and complexity. And like you said, we're not writing code, but it's still development. And the principles that apply to building things in a robust way so they don't break. And then, you know, unit testing and like what happens when something has to be fixed and that sort of thing. All those same principles apply to no code development, even though there's no code involved. The way I see it is it's almost like an entirely different type of development that would not otherwise exist. Because were it not for Glide, I would have never in my life made a mobile app to this day. Like, I'm not going to go out and hire somebody to do that, right? So in my mind, it's actually something different. I guess I don't really see those two things stepping on each other. And then I guess another interesting trend is the developers that actually are leaning into no-code tools for building MVPs and simple versions of something before you go whole hog and make the big investment. There's potentially even upside to those people. I have a few friends who uh, run tech firms in Canada, and this team was thinking about a completely new business line. And didn't want to take dev time away from it. So one of the founders took a consultant, built everything out inside of two months. And then that fully functioning MVP was the basis for like some pretty serious business decisions on whether or not to invest or not in this area. And like to me, that's a perfect example of, you know, a multi-million dollar company trying something and seeing if it sticks. Because isn't that what everything's about is trying and seeing what sticks and doubling down on what works and getting rid of what doesn't. Yeah, it's not about the code or the no code. It's about the use case and the problem that it's solving. And so how can you validate that as quickly and for as low cost as possible? It's kind of the idea of having these massive build outs and having to take huge investments just to make the thing without ever actually validating the thing with customers and users and all of that. Like that's really exciting. And for example, in my business, we would have never considered custom development just because the size of our business, it's not like financially, that's way too big of a lift for us to even consider. But now you start looking around at like, man, we could actually probably build a custom portal for our clients that would give them a fantastic customer experience. And we can, for a reasonable time and effort, put together a beta of that and pull the first 10 people into it and get feedback and say, what do you think about that? That is a thing that fundamentally would not have existed before because we would have never gone to a developer to build something like this out where now we have this opportunity. And that's what I guess gets me excited is it's a totally new type of software in my mind, not a replacement of something that there was before. It lets you try opportunities that you never would have. Same thing goes for us. We are putting together this sort of custom massive app. We're calling it the hub. And the gentleman who built a function would typically do analysis in a spreadsheet. And that spreadsheet is what normally people would do analytics in. But he turned it into a backend database inside of Bubble and ended up creating a dashboard and filtered tables and like really clean data that people can analyze on one page inside of a day or less. And now there's charts and totals and just standard dashboard stuff that you'd want to see. And now the most important piece is that that now gets to go out into the front of the people that are using it for feedback really quick. And already there's been iterations on, oh, it would be nice if, oh, could you expand on, oh, I don't understand this. And just that cycle of feedback, the feedback loop speed is incredibly fast. And that's what gets me really excited about this too. Here's a question for you. And since you're a business owner, you can't use the excuse that you're not qualified. A common debate I see, and probably the most common question I get from people who are exploring no code, like see the value of it, but haven't learned it themselves yet. 
who's the right person to learn this? Like, do I have a CTO or a chief automation officer and we invest all this learning into a single person? Is it the kind of thing that everybody needs to know a little bit about as kind of the gateway? Or do you invest all that into a single person kind of as you would have in the past through like a kind of chief IT person or something like that? How do you approach that? The reason we have a team is because diversity matters. Diversity of thought, diversity of sex, diversity of experience. Everything matters in terms of other people's output. It is so nice to have people to run ideas off of, but most importantly, get feedback on. Mm -hmm. So what we did, and your question was like, what do you think? But what we did was we started with one person who was curious and then built up people around that to say like, hey, challenge this, take on a different role. What are technical gaps are we missing? And that's how we hired developers, product managers, support developers. Like That's all nice. But what if we're building the wrong stuff? I think that's the most important thing. So the people in the firm that are responsible for making decisions on what's important need to have an understanding of what's possible. So the more resources that exist out there that give people that inspiration to see what's possible, it's kind of cool. Even in this episode of No Code, like what is a no code? Yeah, we've covered a lot of things. But if you said things like, hey, you know, download this template into Webflow, connect it to Airtable, and have, you know, a completely automated blog posting system up inside of four hours, like that's a real tangible thing. Connect all this work that people are doing in their accounting system into some sort of summary email that goes out at the end of every day. That's a real thing. So the short answer to that is yes i think it's really important to have it outside of one person and when there is money and financial constraints on that if the people that are involved in the decisions can just be a tad interested in what is possible not necessarily understanding it you probably go a lot faster so there's almost this level of like inspiration that can be a shared responsibility because the worst version of it is you have a couple of experts that have no transparency into what people do all day and none of those benefits are ever realized. So you've got this like sort of base level of understanding or inspiration or just being plugged in to a degree where everyone can participate in that because they're the ones that have the deep understanding of the problems we're solving. And then you've got a team that have the deeper technical expertise that work alongside those people. Yeah, I just, you know, it's hard not to think about your own situation in places like this. And as you're saying that, you're probably thinking about the people in your life and in your company that like help you along with this. And, and I think of like, why build something that people don't need or that doesn't provide a good return on investment? And like my business partner, Josh, he's one of the best things that's happened in my life because I have severe squirrel syndrome, SSS, and I'll build and work on things to the ground and they can be totally dumb. <laughs> Just like, like why waste so much time? But he's really good at saying that's dumb. Don't do that. So I think we all need somebody like that in our lives. I have definitely been lured into the novelty of, oh boy, I can do this thing now. And building a mobile app's a great example. The first three times I built a mobile app, it wasn't even to solve a problem. It was like, I can't, you can't really do this in five minutes. But the end result was completely pointless. And then you have this existential crisis of why the hell would I ever need to build a mobile app? <laughs> but you kind of like plant these seeds in your head. That's kind of how I approach it is I expose myself to the people doing interesting things because I want these things kind of in the back of my head so that when I encounter a situation like a business owner needs a way to approve various things in a simplified way and he's constantly on the road. So 
can you pipe approval workflows from various different systems through a single mobile app? And he can approve all those various things from disparate systems in a single place. And that makes his life massively easier because he's constantly on the road. He doesn't have to log into six different systems and respond to a bunch of emails that are actually approval requests and can instead see all that stuff in a single place. And when I hear that problem, I think what I, and then you're having that conversation, I think what if you had a mobile app that you could run all this stuff through and you could just see all the information you need and approve from there. And then it's like that light bulb goes off and all of a sudden you've got this massively useful use case that's literally for one user, yeah. <laughs> which is like kind of absurd by traditional software standards. But in this case, like they'll pay fantastic money to have this thing that's going to make their life way easier. So yes, I definitely have the shiny object thing and we'll kind of kick the tires on stuff. But I think oftentimes it's just to have enough of an understanding so that when the situation does arrive, you've got a solution you could plug in. There's a positive to this, which is if you expose yourself to as much tech and tools out there that's healthy and you can see what's possible you tend to may not have all the answers but you may be able to come out a problem a little bit differently just like the idea of having any knowledge of no code mm -hmm. allows you to come out a problem differently than traditional dev or yes no decisions on whether or not to work on something and if i was to tie this off with any advice around what I would do differently, or I would encourage somebody on our team to come look at, it's that if you can fundamentally understand how apps talk to each other, which is essentially APIs and webhooks, and just knowing that that's possible with any type of data, because it's essentially text, you don't need to understand how to build it, but just to say, hey, I have this data over here, I have this data over here, it can probably be connected. Hey, can somebody go connect this for me because it's important? If we can add that because it's important piece to it, then they don't have to know Glide. They don't have to know Adalo. They don't have to know Chrome extensions. But what would be nice to know that you can build custom Chrome extensions, that you can build mobile apps, that you can build databases, that you can connect them. And if there was, you know, those five or 10 known things that you could do, I mean, talk about a one pager that you'd want to circulate to your management team. Yeah. And if I can get a little meta here, you know, we've been circling and talking about what the hell is this podcast? How deep does it go? Are you actually going to teach people how to do things over a podcast? Probably not. But I think what people need is that exposure and that level of inspiration to identify, I'm doing this thing. Either I could learn to automate it myself, or I at least know enough to pull somebody else in and say, hey, there's a better way to do this. And I think that is the most impactful place to be in this space right now. Maybe even being a step back from, here's the super technical solution. So that technical team, they need thought leaders, they need the people to get stuff from, but that's a subset of a subset. And the biggest gap right now is people, like you said, simply not having that fundamental understanding that most of the problems we work through every day are data problems and getting something from A to B and applying logic in between. And when you have a basic understanding of what you can do with these tools, the fact that a mobile app builder is accessible to anyone right now. And when you see that need come up, what will increase kind of the leverage of knowledge workers by 100X is not for every single person to know the ins and outs of every single tool, because even the technical people won't know that. It's to know the opportunities and see when a solution needs to be plugged in and be the person to raise their hand and be like, there's a better way to do this. So big unlock for people, but it's still development. You and I are not developers. A couple episodes back, I burned $17.50 accidentally mailing a bird that I didn't mean to. 
I think we've all got some pretty good disastrous stories <laughs> that have come out of normies trying to do things at scale. Do you have any winners? Oh yeah. Lots to choose from. Uh, I suck really bad at some stuff. So one time we built this automation out of Google Sheets. And if you're playing around in Google Sheets and no code a lot, you know it can be pretty finicky. So I accidentally ran an Integromat scenario on 700 intercompany transactions between two zero accounts, which included payments. So these are accounting entries that got pushed to both accounts, presumably? <laughs> both systems, both accounts, all linked with payments. And let's just say now we have a tool to automatically unapply payments and <laughs> void transactions en masse. Wait, I may have seen a tweet about this. How do you like automatically post <laughs> these things to zero? So you shared how to get things in. You didn't share the subsequent tool you built to then unwind all that stuff? No one asked you, Jason. No one asked you. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Come talk automation with us on Twitter at Chad Davis and JStatsCPA. J-S-T-A-A-T-S-C-P-A and C-H-A-D-D-A-Single-V-I-S. Automation Town is edited by Paul O'Mara.